Welcome to Trusting the Truth with Samuel Tolley, where we view the world through the lens of Jesus Christ. We do not view Jesus Christ through the lens of the world. Are you God's man? Are you a saved man? Weren't you called to righteousness? And holiness? It's time to step up. All of God's men must step up. We've laid back for far too long. We've avoided the fight. Now the enemy is strong. The sidelines, they are gone. And the battle lines have been drawn. This is a battle that starts on our knees or on our face if he's so pleased. God didn't call women to lead. Many called to take a stand. To stand for our families, to stand for our land. Many called to illuminate the way. Darkness must flee in the light of day. Men dedicated to him and him alone. Men who garner strength from his mighty throne. Oh my brothers, it's time to stand. And when we stand, it won't be alone. How you doing? This is Sam Tolley, and we have another episode of Manly Monday. Manly Monday is when we want to get together with godly men, talk about the things of life, the things, the good, the bad, or whatever the Lord has for us. We try not to shy away from topics that some people find difficult. And today, I have a dear brother that I went to school with, high school, a brother that fought the battle of cancer as you see in the title is called christ and cancer so i want to bring on uh stephen webb how you doing my brother i'm doing good sam how are you i'm doing great you still look like you're a senior right now (laughs) no you do no that's well, what anything I look is the it's the grace of God. It ain't me. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm well, not he gave me a new hair color to match everything else, right? Well, it's a, that's the hair color of my wife, so don't don't feel bad. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, uh, like I was telling in the intro, uh, we went to high school together, mm-hmm. class 1970, and and for those folks who don't know, we're we're, we're just celebrating having a, a brick or a plaque laid out in front of the Rose Bowl in Pasadena for our graduation I, class. I saw that the other day and yeah, I commented so, on it. So I know to a lot of people, I mean, what's that? But hey, if you grew up in Pasadena, uh, sort of a little stick to PHS and Muir, the class of 1970, although we love them too. 
But, yeah. you know, we were Vikings, and, and that was a time of uh, great excitement during a, a great, weird, wild period of history from 1968 through 1970. But we're not here to talk about the Vikings. We're talking about Steve. And Steve, now, we knew each other in high school. Mm-hmm. And then we seen each other probably about every 10 or or 15 years, depending on the circumstances of uh, the uh, reunions. Mm-hmm. But for those that don't know you uh, or know about you, why don't you just give us a little highlight from Steve growing up and then past high school and, you know, your life? Uh, all right. Well, I was uh, originally born in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, in 52, uh, my mom and my biological dad got divorced when I was young. And my mom came out to California on a train with myself and my older brother and my older sister to start over. And um, my biological dad was not a good guy. He was an abuser and a raging alcoholic and everything. And so my mom had to escape that, came to California and she met with my met up with my stepfather within a couple of years and they got married i grew up in the san gabriel valley um we lived in a la Puente, and then as we got older my dad wanted to move to pasadena and we lived in pasadena from i think it was 67 to 83 they sold our house there but i had moved out by them i had gotten married in 77 but uh moved out but Went to Blair High School. Um, I started there in September of 67. And my sophomore year, because it's only a sophomore, junior, and senior high school. And I had a time of my life there. I loved all the activities we had, all the football games. In all three years, I only missed two football games because of work. Mm. (laughs) It gave me great memories. And... um, I still have lifelong friends to this day, you know, from high school. I'm still in contact with quite often. Um, and from there, uh, you know, I just kind of bounced around. But I, I'd always been someone that wanted uh, a physical job. And so I worked for a company called Beacons Moving and Storage when I was uh, 20 years old. And that's where I got my driving experience. Um, and I later on met my wife, uh, I was 24 when I met her, and we met in Pasadena at a place called the Handlebar, and uh, <laughs> I fell in love with her the moment I met her, and I knew that I loved her, and uh, we got married 49 weeks later, mm. and we're going on our 47th year of marriage right now. Wow. God definitely had a, a plan for me that I had no idea. Um, but I just knew that when I met her, I never wanted to be with anybody but her. And we went through our early marriage. We lived in uh, the San Gabriel Valley still. And um, I bounced around. I got a job with uh, RC Cola delivering soda. I've always, oh, after I left Beacons, I'm sorry, I went to RC Cola, another physical job. And from there, I met some guys at some of my stops that were, um, working for these food companies, delivering to restaurants and stuff. And we got to talk and I got to talk one of them to, uh, during this day. And he said, uh, 
well, why don't you go down and fill out an application? And, you know, at that time, back in 77, you know, the offer was like $8 an hour, which was a lot of money. Wow. $8 an hour. In 77, yeah, that was big money. Yeah. And so I jumped on it and um, I got hired and I worked there for almost 30 years and retired in November of 70, or I'm sorry, of 2007. And from that point on, I opened my own painting business. I just did interior homes, you know, by myself. I didn't really like doing exterior, but I did interior jobs. And I did that from the time I retired on a Friday and I started my business on a Monday. Mm. But it was, but the catalyst for it is I wanted to do something on my own. You know, I wanted to, even though I knew how to paint and everything, you still need advertising and word of mouth. And so I had painted for a lot of friends and, and the Lord blessed me. I just, my phone was ringing off the hook, you know, wow. for jobs. And sometimes I just say, I can't get to you for three or four months and we'll wait, you know, and I was really excited about that. And then, you know, but after a couple of years, things started getting, I think it was when the housing market took a dive around 2010 or so, 2011, people were spending their extra money, you know, for, for that kind of work. So I kind of just faded out of that. I still do it for friends and family and for myself, but it kind of ended that way. And, um, just went about my life and, you know, in Hemet where we lived, we moved to Hemet, California and lived out there. We loved it because it was wide open and, um, a lot of horses out there, a lot of farms out there. And it was just a neat place to grow up. You know, we wanted to bring our kids out there. And, um, I know I haven't mentioned them at this point, but we had three children and, <clears throat> and we had lived in, we lived in Ontario our first house the kids were all real small we only had two and then my wife got pregnant with our third one and the house was starting to get a little small so we looked to to uh move further east because homes were cheaper and we wound up moving in hemet which was five ways away you know it was 90 it was 92 miles to work yeah that was a little bit south of ontario uh yes like a lower desert. Yeah, it's about 50 miles southeast of of Ontario. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, out by March Air Force Base, kind of. Yeah, I've but, been to uh, both. My father-in-law, my ex-father-in-law, before he passed, he had a, he, he moved out of a, his home into a, he bought a bounder, and uh -huh. he, he moved into a trailer park down there in Ontario. Yeah. <clears throat> we used to go visit him sometime. Well, once at least, I, we stopped at March Air Force Base at the museum. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yeah. So, um, so I retired, like I said, in 07, did my painting for a couple of years. And that just kind of just was a stay-at-home dad, you know, not dad, but stay-at-home grandpa. Um, our youngest daughter had uh, gotten pregnant at 19 and had a baby girl. She was still living with us, and we let her stay there with our granddaughter until she was almost eight years old. Mm. And and she also had another child during that time, um, a boy, and he stayed there. He was about a year and a half um, 
old and my granddaughter was about seven and a half when she finally moved out and got her own place. And um, from that point on, I'm just kind of doing odds and odds and ends and everything just to kind of make some extra money because we like to camp and go fishing all the time. My wife and I love um, RVs and we've had RVs for many, many years. And around 2016, 17, I had mentioned to Roberta that, you know, why don't we look into maybe selling the house? We have a four bedroom house here. It's just you and I and the dog and we have a pool and everything. And, and it's just, it isn't used like it was 30 years earlier, you know, and she agreed. And so we sold our home, <clears throat> excuse me. And we bought a uh, 40 foot fifth wheel and a dually. Mm. And we started traveling in the United States and we've done it for just about six years until two years ago. Uh, we were up in Oregon and um, <clears throat> I started getting little pings of pain in my left breast, like right behind my nipple. Mm. And I didn't really think much about it. It was probably around April of 21. And they would come and go, you know, mm. once or twice a day. And then <clears throat> probably in June or July, they were becoming more frequent and more painful. And uh, so I mentioned to Roberta, I said, can you put your fingers on here and feel anything? And because you couldn't see it from the outside, it was on the inside. Okay. And to me, it felt like about the size of a marble. Wow. And it was really hard, but didn't hurt to touch it. But every once in a while, it would just sting on its own. Were you a smoker or anything like that? I was, but I quit well over 40 years ago. Okay. And I stopped drinking uh, 42 years ago. You know, oh, I stopped okay. drinking alcohol and I stopped. Well, no, I, I'm sorry. I stopped smoking on my 40th birthday. Okay. I haven't had one since. I stopped drinking just after I turned 30. So that's 41 years ago. Okay. And so, <clears throat> so I went to the doctor. She said, well, you know, you need to get that looked at. And I was kind of reluctant a little bit because the place where we would go to up in Oregon when we stayed there every summer. Mm-hmm. It was a, uh, it was a doctor's office and everything, but it was more like a clinic. And um, I never who knew who I was going to see when I went in there. And so this, the nurse that came in, uh, LVN or whatever she was, I told her, you know, she was, I was there for a medication refill or something. And I, right before the, I was going to leave, I was reluctant to say anything at that point, but. I said, okay, I got to say something. And I said, excuse me, could you, could you feel this and think you could tell me what your opinion might be? And so I lifted up my shirt and she put her fingers on there and kind of squeezed it. And I could see the look on her face. And I went, <laughs> I said, oh, that, that doesn't look too encouraging. <clears throat> excuse me. And she says, well, she's <clears throat> anytime, <clears throat> sorry, anytime we have a, a female patient that would have a lump on her breast, we have to call for a mammogram. And she said, I'd like to have a mammogram done for you. And I thought, wow, really? Let me stop so, you for one second. Sorry. I remember years ago, my doctor, when I was living in California, oh, I, uh -huh. I got your ear now. <laughs> oh, okay. 
the doctor in California told me that, and I haven't done it, but she was saying is, you know what? Men need to um, check their breasts. They're, you know, just like women do because yep. you can get stuff in there and, and that's something they don't normally necessarily tell men that you can, that you need to, to check yourself. But go ahead. Right. And I had never really done that before, mm -hmm. honestly, but when the pain first started, that I remember around April of 21, I remember taking a shower and, you know, soap under my armpit and everything. And then it would touch my nipple and I go, ah, man, that hurt. But I still didn't say anything to anybody for at least two more months. <laughs> so um, getting back, I went to the doctor and she said, well, I, I think we should set up an a mammogram for you. So I got in there within about a week over in Bend, Oregon, and uh, they did the mammogram. <clears throat> and after it was done, the technician said, well, can you wait a little bit because the radiologist would like to talk to you? I said, okay. And he came in, kind of looked a little somber. And he said, well, he says, I can't really tell exactly what it is. He said, it looks like it could be... Um, something gravis or something that uh no plasma or so, i i can't remember the dang name right now but he said but just to be on the safe side i think we should get a biopsy i said okay so i came back two days later on a thursday and they did the biopsy not painful or anything just went through the side and took about six little um samples i guess and he said well <clears throat> i'll probably i'll be the one that'll call you but it'll probably be either saturday or sunday or possibly even monday i said okay well the next morning at eight o'clock my phone rang mm. and it was the radiologist guy and he said well mr webb he said i have some bad news for you he said it's cancer mm. said, what and he said yeah he says the it's um it's cancerous and i said okay and i was kind of in shock and my wife was sitting on the couch and i was sitting across from her at the rocking chair and she was on the phone and with with our daughter and i just kind of looked over and i said it's cancer and she just dropped the phone almost you know and um i just said well what do i do now and they said well i'm gonna have one of the nurses get a hold of you or something like that. And we're going to see what we can work out here. And so when I hung up the phone, I just felt a, a serious fear in my body. Almost like when you're a teenager and you get the red lights go on and you're driving a little <laughs> too fast or something and that pit yeah. in your stomach just feels so terrible. Well, that's what it felt like, but it was like times 10. Mm. And, you know, the first thing went through my mind before I could even open my mouth was like, oh, I'm going to die, you know. And um, I told my wife what was happening. She started crying. And I actually started to cry because I, I was fearful. I thought, why would I have cancer of my breast? So she got on the phone to call the kids, get all three of them on a phone call or whatever. And I went out of our RV and I took a walk 
down to my down by the river where we were staying um and i started crying and i talked to the lord and i said lord i don't know what this is all about i said i'm really really scared but i have to give it to you because i have no idea what i'm going to do i have no idea what i'm going to be looking at but i have to trust that you're going to take care of me 100 percent mm. and I felt a peace come over me just immediately, like a, a warm flush of mm. peace. Mm. And it's hard to explain to people that aren't believers, you know, that I, I didn't think about Christ the moment I got told that news because I was too much in fear. And that's what mm. Satan will do. He'll put mm. that doubt in me immediately. And so I, I came back to the RV my wife was on the phone and I had a whole different demeanor. She had the kids on the phone and I just told them, I said, well, it is what it is and whatever I have to do, I'm going to do, you know? And so the following day, which was Friday, oh no, that's the day they called, they told me the news. But later that afternoon, I got a call from someone in the medical field down in Bend and they had made three appointments for me mm. for a radiologist, an oncologist, and a surgeon. <clears throat> and I saw the uh, surgeon. Excuse first. me. How did your kids take it? Not too well. My daughters were really um, upset. They're, for lack of a better term, they're daddy's girls. You know, yeah. they, they love me, you know, and they just. Well, they're supposed to be daddy's girls. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we were up in Oregon. We're 900 miles away from them. And, um, but anyway, I told them not to worry. I said, I'm not, I'm not worried. Yeah. It is what it is. And I just got to keep moving forward. Right. And that's the piece that is beyond understanding. Right. You know what I mean? It's just, okay, Lord, I'm all yours. What do you want to do? So I called the surgeon, I called the oncologist, and I called the radiologist and all set up appointments. Mm -hmm. And the, I'm sorry, the surgeons who I saw first, and because they had to remove it. And yeah. so went to meet with him. He was an astonishing man, just unbelievable bedside manner, just, just full of love. And uh, he said, well, he said, I don't see too many male patients. He said, um, in my 15 years, you're the third patient I've seen that, that male breast cancer. Mm. Well, oh, really? So he said, but we'll take care of it. And he explained the procedure that they would have to do. It was basically two procedures that I would be looking at. One, he said, we will extract it and if it hasn't spread into the lymph nodes, we'll remove the cancerous area, close you up, and you'll probably get radiation, maybe 30 treatments, and then that'll be it. You know, there's nothing, there was nothing about chemo or anything like that. And I said, okay. And then he said, the other one is, he said, we can, we'll take it out. And he said, we have to, depending on the size of it and, and where it's located, or not where it's located, but if it's spread, we have to check the lymph nodes. So set up the date. And literally, I saw him 
around August 1st and August 12th was my surgery. Okay. So, no. Yeah, 12th of August, yeah. Surgery went great. Waked up, woke up in the recovered room. Um, everything went fine. I didn't have any pain whatsoever. You know, it's just wrapped around. Of course, they gave me like four pain pills and I took one each day. And that was all I needed, you know. And then I, I wound up taking my bandages off on my birthday, oh. on my 69th birthday. And unfortunately, that was the second time I cried because of it, because I saw the indentation and it just didn't look like my chest. Right. You know? <clears throat> but I cried just for a minute in the bathroom because Roberta took the bandages off of me and then she started to cry and then I was hugging her and I broke away from her and I said, that's the last time I'm going to cry about this situation. That's it. And that was it. I haven't cried since. Okay. And so I went to see a, the oncologist then. He told me, well, the surgeon told me that it was a, a stage three cancer. It had spread into my lymph nodes under my left arm. He took out nine lymph nodes and three came back positive And one had already started to metastasize, I guess, which means it could spread anywhere. Excuse me. And uh, so he he said, well, I'm going to set you up with a, or the, he set me up with the oncologist to, you know, let me know what's going to go on there. And the oncologist didn't really see the, what the numbers were. They call it numbers when you're going through surgery um, on a cancer thing. In my situation, that if it's a certain level then it only requires radiation. If it goes above that, it requires radiation and chemo, or chemo mm -hmm. and then radiation. And he was pretty convinced it was only going to need radiation. I said, oh, great. First thing I thought about, I get to keep my hair, you know? And um, so I, I felt comfortable when I left there. And then we saw the radiologist the following day, and a really nice young man talking to him in this and that. And he was telling me about the treatments and so forth that they're going to do on the radiation, and what to expect. And he said, if you have any opportunity, have you ever heard of MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston? And I hadn't. And, but I guess Roberta had. And he said, if he said, I interned there for two years. And he said, if there's any chance you have an opportunity that you can go there, you know, and I told him we live in our RV and we travel. He said, I would go there. And okay, and that's all Roberta needed to hear. Mm. As soon as we got home that day from there, she started making calls to MD Anderson in Houston, doing all this stuff over the phone, blah, 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 blah. And I had an appointment in October. Wait a minute. You, where you were, you could have got the treatment there. But he told you, if you can go here, this is where you need to go. No, yes. But I mean, the oncologist said that I wouldn't need chemo because I didn't go above 17, whatever that meant. Yeah. And the radiologist said, he said, if you want to get a second opinion, he said, my suggestion would be go to MD Anderson. Okay. He said, they're phenomenal. 
That's all they do is breast cancer. Okay. So we got a hold of him, or Roberta did. She did everything. And uh, we got an appointment for October 7th, you know, mm. just about uh, less than a month away and uh, from that time. And so we packed up our RV, packed up our, where we were staying, drove down to California to visit with the kids for a week or so, and then drove on to Houston. It was 2,800 miles. Now, this, this was after you had the surgery. Yes, I had the surgery. And I, after getting accepted at MD Anderson, it was okay to be a month away from starting treatment because they had I'm, taken I'm talking care. about you felt strong enough to drive was Roberta doing all the No, I, I drove. Yeah, I was that's what it was. It was a month later. I had to recover. 100%. Okay. Had a little pain, you know, turning or putting the seatbelt on or anything, but just inconvenience more than pain. Right. And uh so we made it there, didn't hurry. Don't we don't go more than three hundred miles a day, mm-hmm. and then we'd stay at a place. So I got here. February 6th and February 7th, I had an appointment with MD Anderson in downtown Houston. And they put me through scans, blood work. I met with the oncologist. I met with the, the guy that does all the prescriptions for the um, chemo treatments and everything, telling me what to expect and, you know, how I could be feeling and so forth and so on. And all that time, I was never nervous. I truly wasn't. I just said, okay. And I'm not, God's not going to give me more than I can handle. I just, that's, I've always believed it. He will never give me more than I can handle. Mm. And that's my, that's my feeling. That's my belief. So I went back on the, I think it was a week later. Uh, no, October 20th. So 12 days later, I started my first chemo treatment and took about three hours they went in through my top of my hand on my left hand and um just sitting in a comfortable chair i could look at my phone you know i had my one arm on the on the armrest and i had my phone here just looking at stuff and you know watching youtube videos or whatever just to kill the time right and um i remember feeling like taste of metal in my mouth all the time but when the treatment ended, you know, Roberta was there with me, she drove me home. And I remember just feeling like out of sorts. You know, you, I felt like a buzzing was going on inside my body. And, uh, but I didn't really lose my appetite or anything, but I just felt not normal. I just felt it felt weird. And that lasted for about four, the first four or five days. And I started feeling a little bit better, you know. And then by the third week, you know, at the end of the third week, I I had to go in for another treatment. And, you know, it was the same thing. The first four or five days, just feel really down and kind of crummy. And then you start picking up. And by the third week, I was feeling normal, you know, only to redo it again for three months. Mm. And, uh. The whole time during it, um, like I said, I never lost my appetite or anything. Roberta was always making me, you know, great meals, you know, light meals, but yet filling. And it was not a bad experience that way. The only real thing that I really suffered from was uh, fatigue, constant fatigue. And um, fatigue. Oh, fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. And 
you know, she want me to take a walk with her and stuff like that. And I just, I'd be out of it in, you know, a couple of hundred yards. I'd say, I got to go back, you know, and, and it, that went on for months, you know, and then when the chemo stopped, they wanted to give me two weeks off. And then I started 30 treatments of radiation. And, uh, that was pretty, that was kind of a, it was a, eye-opening experience because to see the technology in hospitals now and machines they have and you have to lay on this table or I had to lay on the table with both my arms back like this holding on to a bar and they had shaved this part of my left side of my chest and they put four markers on your body like a permanent little tattoo it's just okay. a little odd and they used this computer laser to mark exactly where they're going to zap it. Mm. And when they do it, they want you to take a deep breath. So your chest expands. So when the radiation comes in from the side, it doesn't hit your heart. Wow. So it was really technical. And I mean, you cannot move one bit. And it took about 25 to 30 minutes for each treatment. And, you know, the first treatment, I was, you know, is that it? You know, you know, that's it. And I said, okay, and I had to come back Monday through Friday, every day for six weeks. And uh, no weekends, just Monday, Monday through Friday, Friday, every day. Yeah. Wow. And it was, like I said, 25 minutes, maybe tops for the treatment. And, um, oh, this is a piece of cake, you know, second day, third time. By the second week, I was starting to feel like I had a bad sunburn. And I was and I could feel it on my back. I thought, oh man, my back feels like I have a sunburn. He goes, Well, you've been cooking inside. <laughs> so each week it got a little bit more intense, a little bit more red. And to this day, no hair will grow anywhere on this side of my chest. It's like a, a big square that's completely, completely a void of any hair and the other side is thick as to be <laughs> you know oh. but i went through it and you know at md anderson if i could say anything to anybody that has cancer or has gotten cancer if they have an opportunity to go there i know it's you know i was on medicare so i was i was blessed oh, it never cost me a penny I never made a phone call for an appointment, nothing. Everything was done by text messages and so forth. And it was, they were so like professional. It was like a well-oiled machine. You know, I mean, if your appointment's at 815 for radiation, you're on that table at 815, period. Not 814, not 816. You're not there at 816, they go to the next patient. Oh. So it's really really strict and they have to be that way because they treat so many people but i rang the bell for my final treatment of radiation on february 24th coming up in fact i i have my two-year scans and blood work on the 26th of this month and if I, everything was good then i've been two years cancer free so the 26th of this month you have a two-year uh yeah february 26th i have my Every year I get a scan. Okay. And every six months I have blood work done because 
the medication that I have to take after surgery, I have to take for five years. Okay. It is, it is called tamoxifen. And I put on like 25 pounds as a result of it. You put on 25 pounds? Yeah. I weighed 200 pounds the first day of treatment. Hmm. 200 pounds. Now I weigh 230. Oh. Actually, 227. Okay. But I've tried everything. I only eat two meals a day. I either eat breakfast and dinner or lunch and dinner. That's it. And I don't drink any kind of sodas, any kind of caffeine, sugary things, none of it. I have a cup of coffee. It's the only thing other than water that I put into my body. And so I, I don't have any complaints today. You know, I'm, I feel healthy. I feel strong. Um, I'm able to do everything that I need to do. Uh, you know, mow the lawn, clean the house, do whatever. To help so you can out. take those walks with Roberta now. Yeah, not as much. She, man, she's a walker too. She can, <laughs> she'd go for an hour, and I said, "Honey, I can't do an hour. I'll do thirty minutes, but not an hour." But she'll she goes walking with our next door neighbor every morning, wow. and then she's gone for an hour and twenty minutes every day. I mean, is it like on trails or just a sidewalk or what? It's in the trails here. the The community and where we live here, northeast of Houston. Okay. It's called M Grove Village, and they all have their own uh, trails and everything. They're all maintained by the homeowners association. In fact, we pay ninety nine dollars a year for it. Um, but it's like fifty six miles of trails that intertwine all through, and that was one of the reasons we picked this place okay. to live, other than needing to be close to my oncologist because when I first found out after I got my first treatment that I'm going to have to be coming back every six months, I went, what? And I said, well, that's going to put a cramp in us. You know, if we're traveling all over, <coughs> excuse me, I'd have to fly to Houston, get my blood work done, get a scan, and then fly back to where I'm at. And I thought, that's going to be really costly after a while. And in truth, I was getting, we were getting a little burned out with the price of fuel and everything had been going up mm. and uh, with diesel and everything. And I thought, well, why don't we just sell the RV, you know, and look for maybe buying a house? Well, we couldn't afford to buy anything in, in California. And I didn't really want to move back to California. Mm. And our son had lived out here for a couple of years in this area. In fact, he only lives two miles from us. And, uh, so we started looking online while we were up in Oregon. And, uh, you know, I knew I didn't have to come back here for a while. And so we looked to buy a house and we bought a home here in September of 22. And um, we've been here ever since. But I saw your Lone Star flag up there. <laughs> yeah, there it is right behind me. Yeah. So and I'm actually becoming Houston Texans football fan. Huh. I love I love the Rams. I'm always gonna love the Rams, but I really right. like the Christian quarterback on the Texans, BJ yeah. Stroud. CJ Trout, I mean Stroud. And he's a very humble young man, and I just love his attitude. And I love the coach, uh, you know, DeMeo in mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a good team to follow. And I'm a Texas Ranger fan. I like the Rangers who just okay. won the World Series. And uh, but I'm always gonna be a Dodger fan through and through. I get the MLB every year. 
just to watch Dodger games. <laughs> well, I'm I'm a Dodger fan. I just sort of uh, I was a little upset with them last year when they were saluting uh, the Sisters of Indulgence. Um, oh, that was that was horrible. Yeah. You know, I, I got to thinking about that, and I was living here, and I thought, why? Do you think they would have done something like that with Tommy's Osorda? I don't know. Tommy wouldn't have put up with Or Vin Scully was still an announcer. How do you get away with stuff like that? I mean, I know they did it pregame before the crowds always show up and everything, but it was just the point. Yeah. Why are you doing that? I mean, what, you know, what good are these people doing? They're they're desecrating um, Christ. Period. Oh you know, yeah, yeah. It was the, the Catholic faith was very upset, you know, and I, I agree with them. I think it was horrible. Yeah. Well, you know, I moved out of California. It been it's gonna be four years in um, April that I moved to uh, Arizona. Uh huh. Um, and what I'm part of Arizona. I'm in Goodyear. Goodyear, okay. Yeah, we're twenty miles uh, west of Phoenix. And I'm in an area that I also am in the area with an HOA, and I'm surrounded by trails too. Yes. So we could walk down the street and be on the mountain, yeah, um, or a mile away from here, and we we ride our bikes around the lake or different stuff like that. Right. So, um, and then you know, depending on how things go, on, the wife and I was thinking about if this gets too woke, we may have to go further south. We were thinking it either be Florida or Texas, but. You know, right now, of course, the housing market is 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 crazy. Um, yeah. But anyway, we weren't thinking about leaving now. But yeah, if I can't see moving back to California. People I know that live in California, either they inherited their parents' house or or they bought a house like we got out of high school, which you could even do get a job in those days, or they're rich because the, the yeah. Because the, the the price is 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 astronomically stupid. Yeah, it's out of control. <laughs> I remember going by my parents' house when we were at the forty fifth reunion. I I was in in that area, you know, because we were still living in Hemet at that time. We were about a year away from doing our RV thing, but I remember going to my old neighborhood and stopping to see our neighbors that lived next door that still live there. Mm. <laughs> The house that we had lived in next door to them, mm -hmm. it was a little over 1,300 square feet, a three-bedroom, two-bath, but it had a pretty good-sized lot. Mm -hmm. My parents sold it in 83, 1983 for 179 mm -hmm. And I just asked my next-door neighbor, Dick Hart, so I said, what do you think that house is worth there? And he goes, well, I know exactly what it's worth, $1.4 million. <laughs> that, was, crazy. that was nine years ago. No, seven years ago on the 45th. So, so, so probably it's worth about 1.1 now in California. It hasn't uh, lost that much equity. If yeah, it lost, I don't enough. know how people can afford to live there. I just don't. It's the crazy. only drawback about living in Texas is the humidity in the summer. It's it's a whole different animal, let me tell you. Well, I know I, summer. I, I, I'm I, experienced, huh? I know summer. We get 117, 120 easy. Yeah. <laughs> 24 hour a day air conditioning between June and almost September. That sucker just runs. Yeah. Do you remember a high school friend of mine? He's still friends with me today, Charlie Guerrero. I remember the name, yeah. Well, he had a sister also named Rita Guerrero. 
And, and I don't know uh, her necessarily. And they had a brother named Vinny Guerrero. He was a little older. But anyway, Charlie and I have been friends since I moved to Pasadena in 1967. Mm. And still friends today. He lives in Tucson. Okay. He's he had to get a pool. He said, you can't live here unless you have a pool. It's too much. You know, the heat is just out of control. I don't know how I can deal with it. But it's well, a drier heat mm. where here... This past August and July, it was 88% humidity and 95 degrees out. And yeah, we don't get the humidity. 95 is like, it's, it's it's like more, winter. It's, it's a decent day here. See, when yeah. I go to California and it's 75 degrees, I need a, I need a sweater. <laughs> <laughs> because you're not used to that anymore. I know. I know. But I, I want to ask you a question. Um, sure. The value of of a strong wife when you went through that stuff i i don't think i would have made it as well as i did without my wife she was a rock she you know one of the things that draw me drew me to her when i first met her was her demeanor and her character and the way she carried herself and through our marriage and stuff, you know, we go through different things, you know, up and down, not so much between her and I, but just different things, raising, raising three kids, three teenagers at the same time, all these up and down and the parents and everything. I was always in awe about my wife would always stay level-headed about things, you know. In fact, my wife was... Uh, a big factor of me becoming a believer mm. uh, when oh, we moved to Hammond. We got a little bit of time. Tell me. That oh, story. I'm sorry. I'm just rambling. I'm sorry. But, no, tell me that story real quick. Oh, yeah. Well, in 1990, we moved to Hemet, blah, blah, blah. We didn't know anybody. Small community, but it was wide open. Uh, and a neighborhood invited her to go to this church, Bible Fellowship Church. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really want to go at the time. I wasn't really interested in faith at that moment, you know, anything. I grew up Catholic, and so I was I was afraid of God. You know, I, I didn't think I could do anything right under God's uh, law or anything, but she was going there for, oh, about a month or two, and she would take the kids, but they had a great program for kids. And she would come home every week and say, oh, man, this pastor is just unbelievable. And she grew up in the Catholic faith and going to Christian Catholic school and everything. Well, I found up going, you know, after a few months. And I remember sitting there for the first time. And he was giving a sermon in this net. And I was looking around and I thought, is he talking about me? Yeah. You know, I thought, did Berta call him and tell him about what I'm like or something? And the next week, it was even more profound. And mm. I, thought, I thought people were looking at me like, yeah, he's talking about you. That's how I felt. So when I got home from church that day, I was so inquisitive, I called the church on Monday and asked if I could meet with the pastor. And I had some questions for him, and he prayed for me. I cried my eyes out, and I accepted God right there. I accepted wow. the Lord right there. And uh, I went to, we were faithful believers and attenders for 27 years there, you know, at that church. And uh, it was a great foundation, great men great men's group and uh i have this now in here in houston we go to key life fellowship 
Pastor Kirk Hall. He's he's just amazing. Bible teaching, non-denominational Christian church. Mm. And he is so passionate about Christ. And it's just amazing. And uh, here I am, full circle, you know. Isn't it remarkable that you could be sitting in a church saying, wait, wait, he, he talking about me? Well, exactly. How do you know that? Exactly <laughs> how know. I felt. I asked her when we left, when we were driving home the second time I was there, I said, did you call them or something and tell them that your husband is doing this or has a bad temper or he cusses a lot or something? That's what I felt. I was being convicted and I didn't really even know it was conviction. Yeah. I just thought somebody knew something about me that I didn't want to know. Wow. So when I met with a pastor, he answered my questions. I felt at ease. He prayed over me, and I accepted Christ in his office right then. So, so how did that how did that affect your 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 family dynamics and everything after you you, well, you changed? My kids all were attenders. They went every Sunday with us. They had the youth group and everything. My son was involved as a, a youth counselor and everything. He loved it there. And, you know, as he got older, we sent our kids to the Hume Lake camp every year. Mm -hmm. You know, that got to be kind of expensive, but it was a great experience for him. And they got to be with hundreds of other believers and everything. And they got taught all kinds of great things, had great speakers and everything there. They'd always come home just on fire. You know, mm. but as the years as they got older and they got, you know, into high school and the later years, you know, the friends that they're with and they become friends with may not always think the same way that they do, you know, and they then they feel right. like they have to fit in with their line of thinking rather than the other way around. And that happens with a lot of people. It really does. You know, and, and I kind of understood it, but I just had to be their father. I had to love them. They had to know that I love and honor their mother and they don't see their mother and father ever arguing. Right. I don't think we've argued five times in 46 years. Mm. We have disagreements. Right. But not arguments where we're screaming at each other, you know, and I'm very grateful for that because I love her, you know, and I've loved her from the moment I met her and right. it's only gotten better all these years. Well, did she love you in the moment you met her or did you have to work on that? Thing? No, I think it took her about a month. You know, I think <laughs> I think I came on a little too strong. Uh, I told her, I said, if it was up to me, I would have taken you to Vegas and married you that night. Mm. And I would still be married to you today. I could guarantee it. But it took about a month and then we got engaged uh, just before Valentine's Day. Uh, you know, the following February in 77. Then we got married in October of 77. So, so I'm um, very blessed when it comes to that. I like that Beatles song where she was standing there. What's she, that? Is it a song like that Beatles? Remind me of that Beatles song where she was just standing there. Um, I mean, you know, and I saw her and I, the way she moved and I just wanted to be I, I understand that, that happens. From the neck that. down. I didn't see her from the neck down. We were kind of dancing in a crowded area there in the bar. It was it was a handlebar. It was like a high school. I'm sorry. Like uh, the girls had to be 18. The guys had to be 21. Yeah. And I didn't like going there because I didn't like being so crowded around everybody. But I met her there. I asked her to dance. We danced like four dances straight, you know, shoulder to shoulder. And I just 
kept staring at her eyes and I just was in love. That's all I can say. I was in love. And I still feel the same when I look at her today. Okay. Well, that's so, good. That, that, that. And we have, we have God in our marriage. We have God in our finances. We have God in our upbringing and we have God loving each other, you know? So I'm, I'm very fortunate. You know, I don't believe it. It's luck or anything like that. I believe God put her in my path for a reason. I'm here in Houston for a reason. And I just, I'm a blessed man. I truly am, you know, so I don't really think about my cancer anymore. You know, I really don't other than that, take that medication once a day. Right. It's something that uh, keeps me from producing estrogen. Okay. So, and the oncologist said, well, that will cause the weight gain, you know? And she said that basically a third of her patients, which are mostly female, stop taking the medication after a year or so because of that. You know, they just, oh, it makes them one thing you go through cancer and you throw weight on top of it. Women don't like that. So, no. you know, they, they do other alternatives, but for me, I'm just going to take it. If that's, if that's the only drawback of 30 pounds heavier, I'll take right. it. So. All right. Well, praise the Lord. Well, yeah. Sound, that sounds great. It sounds like you're, I hope I, mean, I didn't I, ramble I, too much. Huh? I hope I didn't ramble too much. No, no, you, 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 I think you encourage a lot of people. They, <laughs> what was it? The, 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 the great takeaway that I have from, from our conversation is after the initial shock mm -hmm. of what you had, of what you found out and you took that walk and you just gave it to the Lord. I just, and you, I just, just spoke and, to him. And you just gave it to him. I spoke to him like he was right next to me. And I said, I'm, I don't want to get afraid anymore. I don't want to be afraid. And I need you to help me through this because I don't know what to do. That's it. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes, I had a warm flush. And that was it. I walked back to the RV. No tears in my eye. Talked to my kids on the phone calmly. They were crying like crazy. I said, don't cry. I'm not crying, and I'm not going to cry. I'm going to yeah. go through it, and everything will be okay. It is what it is. You know, they, they don't like it when I say things like that, but if it is what it is, it is what it is. Just yeah, go it. This is why I, I, I like to do a Manly Monday, and I like to talk about people's relationship and how the Lord steps into it and yeah. with godly men, because in this society, particularly these days, they're trying to emasculate men. And, and <clears throat> we, as men, we don't like to cry. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you got to cry, but, but, but even if it's not physical tears, I cry out to the Lord all the time because, right. because the last person I want to trust with my, with me or or decision making is just in my own mind because I've I, Lord knows I've made all kinds of stupid mistakes throughout the years. Yeah, I try to look for Him to guide me, and and that's what we as men uh, we we need to always reach out to Him. I I I wonder sometimes that people that don't have Christ in their life or they don't have their trust and faith in Him how they can get through things, you know, like this or whatever. And 
I, I know I, I wouldn't have been able to get through it emotionally. You know, I would have been a wreck. Satan would have continued to attack me over and over, put thoughts, thoughts of doubt in me constantly. You're not going to make it or you're not going to like it. Uh, This is what you're going to feel. And, you know, you're going to lose all your hair and all that. And, and it was just hair, you know, that's all it was. It was just hair. Well, he gave you, he gave you, he gave you back what you got allotted for. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Maybe not the whole thing, but he he gave it back to you. (laughs) So, yeah. Amen to that. Well, look at here, look at here, Steve. I want you to hold on for a second. I want to sign off. And I want to talk to you as soon as I get this thing signed off. Absolutely, not but, a problem. Uh, I just want to say real quickly before we go, Heavenly Father, we just praise you and thank you for this opportunity to 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 fellowship, to talk, to bring you glory. And it's our prayer that somebody is is lifted up, somebody is encouraged, somebody is helped from our conversation. And we say that in Jesus' name, amen. 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 So let's hold on a second, see. You got it. So this was, wow, a magnificent time. And we'll see you the next time on Manly Monday. This is Sam Tolley, and I'm out.